0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. I
1: was listening to um I was listening to a discussion forum on the radio, and of all things, it was over the origin of the world and the nature of humanity. And it was very interesting hearing people uh, some of whom believed in God and some of whom weren't quite sure that there was a God. It was interesting to hear them discuss human nature and things like consciousness and love and humility and many, many, many of the things that are unique to the human race because we've been created in the image of God. And it was interesting to hear them discuss the frustration of not being able to explain that scientifically. And... Um, There's a reason for that, and that is because no matter what anyone says, you and I are not just scientific, physical beings. We have an eternal portion to us, a spirit or a soul that will never be able to be explained scientifically because it's spiritual, it's not physical. And so we're talking about pursuing spiritual excellence this morning. And we're going to do so out of a passage of Scripture and a story that probably all of you have heard maybe the entire thing, or at least parts of, because we're going to, we're going to talk about that in the context of three guys that were thrown into a fiery furnace. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we're going to talk about that story this morning. But th- there's a very, very poignant lesson in here for two groups of people. And the first group of people are those that are going through any form of trial or struggle or difficult time, a testing, if you would, because one of the major points of this particular story is a message that God wants all of us to get and to know and to be fully cognizant and aware of when we're going through those times of testing. And the second, there's a real message for any of us who might work with other people. Know anybody like that? Yeah, like all the rest of us, correct? Because there's some real insight into human nature and how to work with people and guidelines for interpersonal relationships and working with other people. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. Father... Would you take this message and speak into our lives? First of all, those who are going through significant trial and testing and facing difficult times, I pray that you would speak a message of hope, a message of encouragement, a message of inspiration, and a message of connection with them. And then, Father, I pray that you would give wisdom and insight for all of us deal with other people. Teach us how to have discretion so that we could make good and wise decisions and respond to people as we should. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 2001, there's a little 181-page book that topped the New York bestsellers list. It was written by a guy by the name of David Borgenicht. And the title of the book was Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. I don't know if anybody read that book, and I have no clue how it made it to the top of the list, but it did. The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. For instance, if you ever found yourself accidentally sinking in quicksand and you had this book in your pocket, you could pick it out, you could look up the chapter on how to survive quicksand, and it would tell you what to do. Or, if you were in a building and decided you needed to jump out and land in a dumpster, it would tell you exactly how to jump, what to do, and how to anticipate the landing. Or, if you were with a friend and you needed to perform an emergency tracheotomy... Well, now that I've read that chapter, I've been trying to get a friend who would let me practice, but I can't get any takers. I don't know what the deal is. Honest-to-goodness chapters in the worst-case scenario survival handbook. So I thought I'd run a little test, okay? If you're out on the hills of Sonoma County and you happen to encounter an angry mountain lion, four choices, what should you do? Run play dead. Try to make yourself look bigger by opening your shirt or your coat. Begin singing a gentle song. (laughs) Now up in the right-hand corner of your sermon notes, I want you to put the letter of the one that all of the experts say you should do. Okay, I'll read them again. Letter A is run. B is play dead. C, try to make yourself look bigger by opening your shirt or your coat. D, begin singing a gentle song. Are you ready for the answer? It is C. Try making yourself look bigger by opening your coat. Now, I don't know who the guy was who figured that out. Yeah, by the way, if you have a child with you, hold the child up. I'm serious, that's what the chapter says, hold the child up, because it'll make you look even bigger. <laughs> yeah, all right. Now, chances are we're not, not going to be jumping into dumpsters or performing emergency tracheotomies or falling into quicksand or hopefully not encountering a mountain lion. But you know what? I do know this. You and I will encounter things throughout life that will test our priorities. We will encounter things in life that will test our values. And we will encounter things in life that from time to time will test our faith. And those, it's crucially important that we know how to respond correctly. Remember the little bonus lesson I gave you last week? I'm going to say it, and I'm going to ask you to say it again, okay? Patient acceptance of frustration in everyday life is crucial to the formation of my character. Can you say that with me? Let's say it. Ready? Ready? Patient acceptance of frustration in everyday life is crucial to the formation of my character. Now I'm going to teach you a si- several similar lessons today. In fact, I'm going to teach you eight lessons. So let's get started. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, at the scenario. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. It was ninety feet high and nine feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now I don't know if you're good at, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're good at proportions but I'm guessing this thing looks something like a totem pole because if it was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, that means it was only one-tenth as wide as it was high. Okay? So that means that if you're 6 feet tall, you would be only 12 inches wide. You got it? So uh, you wouldn't look like me, I can tell you that for sure. Now, going on. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, <clears throat> the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. In other words, this was the who's who's list of everybody who was anybody in the in the the Empire of Babylon. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the other Provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music... You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So that's the scenario. Actually, if you study history, you're going to learn what's going on here, and that is King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to figure out how to deal with a problem in his empire. You see, his empire spanned thousands of miles. It took place on three different continents, portions of three different continents, several hundred different cultures and people groups. And King Nebuchadnezzar learned it was easier to conquer them than it was to get them to all work together. In other words, he was dealing with multiculturalism. Sound familiar? Sounds like the U.S., huh? In fact, if you were to take a dollar bill out, it's got a little thing on there that says, e pluribus unum, which translated means, from the many, one. And King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to figure out how to take all of these different cultures and bring cohesion to them, and he comes up with this brilliant idea that has been tried oftentimes in history, and in different places around the world today, is being tried by various kinds of rulers, and that is, he was going to forcefully make all these different cultures have one religion. Now, he was smart in that he knew that the deepest part of every human spirit is the soul or the spirit or where their faith resides, And he knew that any unity that didn't reach all the way down to the core of the human spirit would be a superficial unity, and when tough times hit, it would fall away. So he said, I've got to get people united at that point. So he came up with this idea. Now he did everything he could to make it acceptable. He made this image relatively impressive. Ninety feet tall is roughly a nine-story building. That'd be pretty impressive, don't you think? And he made it out of what? It was an image of gold. That was impressive. And then he gathered the greatest musicians in the entire empire, and all kinds of them, and he said, I'm going to get the best music I can possibly get. And then I'm going to gather the most important people in the entire world and get them all together and we are going to have a big worship service. And we are going to create one common religion and one common faith. That was the plan. There was, however, a little problem. Nebuchadnezzar was forgetting a lesson that God had already taught him. And that's lesson number one from this particular story. Never forget or disregard a lesson God has already taught you. How do I know that? Well, our story today comes from Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 2, at the very end of that chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar issues this particular statement, and I've just excerpted part of it. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Now, what the king was saying is, I recognize, Daniel, that your God is greater than all of the other gods because the gods of the magicians and the astrologers and the wise men and all of those people. Don't compare with your God. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar was going to unite people around a common faith, he probably should have started with the one God he had just come to realize was the most powerful of all. But the problem that Nebuchadnezzar knew is if he bought into that God, then as we learned last week, he would have to yield control of his life to that God, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to yield control the control of his life to anyone. So he said, I will start a religion and I'll make my own image and I'll be the boss. So there you have it. He forgot the lesson that God had already taught him or he disregarded it. And that started him on a downward spiral. That leads me to a question. Actually, it should lead you to a question. What is it that God has taught me recently in my life that I need to make very, very sure I hang on to tightly? Or maybe more importantly, what lesson have I already learned in life? Am I being tested or tempted to disregard? Nebuchadnezzar would have done well to remember. So let's go on to the second section of this particular story what I call the first moment of truth. You ever have moments of truth? Sure you do. Here we have it. As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. By the way, if you look that up in the the original language, you know what it says? As soon as they... We're hearing the music, they were falling. It was like a contest to see who could get down first. I mean, they were in full compliance. It goes on to say, <coughs> at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Now, that's an important concept to understand. They denounced the Jews. But now, the rest of the story is going to focus on only three Jews. But they actually denounced the entire culture. They said to... the To King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn must fall down and worship the image of gold. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have settled with the affairs of the province of Babylon. And just in case your memory is short, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O king, who pay no attention to you. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, in that entire plain, the plain of Dura, there were only two groups of people. There was a group of people who bowed down and there was a group of people who didn't. And as the king surveyed the situation and it was brought to his attention that there were actually two groups of people, one who bowed and one who didn't, the king made some assumptions and that's where we get lesson number two. Lesson number two is this, never confuse compliance with loyalty. As the king surveyed the crowd and he saw all these people bowing down and he saw three guys who did not bow down, he assumed what group of people was disloyal to him. Everyone bowing or the three guys standing? What do you think? He assumed the three guys standing were disloyal to him. Actually, however, history would reveal that the three guys standing were the most loyal to him. For they would never cheat or be dishonest or do anything that would harm the king, no matter how much you agreed to pay them, because they were men of integrity and principle, and, and therefore they were loyal to the king. All the people bowing down, did they have the best interest of the king in mind? By the way, you know who these guys were? Well, I don't have time to go back and read it to you, but I want to tell you who they were. Remember in the previous chapter, those of you who were here, the king had a vision, and he asked all these guys to come in and tell him what the vision was and what it meant, and they couldn't do it, and the king said, okay, off with all your heads. And it was in, it was in rounding them all up that they rounded up Daniel, and Daniel asked for time and so forth. Well, at the end of that chapter, here's what happens. After God reveals the secret to Daniel, and Daniel tells it to the king, the king takes Daniel and puts him over the entire city uh, of Babylon and the palace. And Daniel goes to the king and says, you know, I've got three guys who prayed with me, and God revealed the secret to all four of us, really. And the king said, fine then we're going to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to put them over the entire province of Babylon, and we're going to take Daniel and put him over the palace. So these three guys took the positions that these other guys got to post from. You think they remembered that? They looked for every opportunity to bring down Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they thought they had found it. Which is why, even though, they, even though they maligned all of the Jews when it came to naming names, how many did they name? Only the three that took their positions. Hmm. Now listen, here's how this applies to you and to me. Some of you have children who are still at home, I want to say this lesson again. Never confuse compliance with loyalty. As you teach and you train your children, remember the little story of Dennis the Menace whose mother took him when he was in trouble and put him in the timeout corner, and she said, I want you to go over here and sit in this corner. And and she came back two or three minutes later and looked to make sure he was still sitting in the corner. And he said to her, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Now, was that loyalty or compliance? Compliance. Okay? Never confuse compliance with loyalty or obedience. For those of you who still have uh, children at home, teach and train your children not to be compliant, but to be loyal and obedient. That's huge. For those of you in the workplace, never confuse compliance with loyalty. Okay? There are people in the workplace, if you're in a position of leadership, there are people in the workplace who will be compliant with you, but they may not be loyal to you. It's important that you pray and ask God for discernment so that you're not fooled by people who are merely compliant but not loyal. That would have been a great lesson for the king to learn. Now let's take a look at the next section of Scripture. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and all the rest of that stuff, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Now I want you to underline this. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? You know, that's a challenge God's not going to take sitting down on the throne. You understand? When the king kind of shook his fist at heaven and said, what God is there? God said, what was the old Toyota commercial? You asked for it, you got it. And, and the king is about ready to find that out. But I want you to see another lesson. A while ago I said never confuse compliance with loyalty. Now I want you to look at it from the other side because here's our next lesson, lesson number four or three. Never confuse loyal service with people-pleasing. You know what the king had assumed? I mean, here's Daniel. Man, what a loyal and faithful guy to serve in his palace. And he looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and every time he had been able to test them, they were men of integrity, and they worked hard, and they had a good work ethic, and they always served him faithfully. And he believed, because they had always served him faithfully, that no matter what he asked them to do, they would do it because they wanted to please him. Hmm. I want you to think about that for a minute. There's a huge difference between loyal service and people pleasing. You see, the reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to that image was because their primary reason for serving the king was not wanting to please him. Yes, did they work to please him? Yes. But that wasn't their motivation. That was their goal. That wasn't their motivation. What was their motivation? Their motivation was they were men of faith and integrity, and no matter what they did, they would do it to the best of their ability, and they would do it with integrity, and and they would do it with honesty and sincerity, but they would never do anything just so somebody would like them. That's huge. You see, when we sign on to become people pleasers, we give the control of our life to other people, and we find ourselves doing all sorts of things just so that they will like us. And then our happiness becomes codependent on their opinion. You know who the people pleasers were? They were all the people who were falling down out there in the plane. They didn't know what they believed. They had nothing that they could anchor their life to. Whatever the king said, they just flopped and did. Hmm. There's a real message in that for us. By the way, when you're looking for a best friend, don't look for a best friend who just looks at you and thinks that everything you do is great and they would never criticize you. Those are people pleasers. They will say anything so that you like them. The Bible says, actually, look here in Proverbs chapter 27, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Invite people into your life who respect you, but are not intimidated by you, and who love you, but they don't just want to please you. And they respect you enough that they will tell you the truth, even though sometimes it's not that easy to say or to hear. In fact, we have two sermons coming up. One is on telling the whole truth, which is also out of the book of Daniel, and the one right after that is on finding courage. Both of those would be really important. And so that's lesson number three. Let's move on to the next section. This is what I call the second moment of truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. You know what I love about this? Anybody know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question you ask and you don't really want answered, right? Because the answer is supposed to be so obvious, nobody has to answer it. The king looks at these guys and asks a rhetorical question. Then what God is there who will deliver you from my hand? Oh, you ask a question? We have the answer. And they said, as a matter of fact, king, we got one of those. It's the God we serve. And he is able to deliver us from your hand, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Wow. Wow. So what's the lesson we can learn from this particular part? Lesson number four is this. It's important to serve all, but worship only one. The last song that we sang just before I walked out onto the the platform was, You are the one. I will worship. Now if you look at the mission statement of this church, it, it just embodies what Christianity is. As a church... We exist to connect people to God and others. We exist to develop them as followers of Christ. And I want you to hear the third part. We exist to move people into lifestyles of service. We have been called to serve. I have said over the years this little statement. God didn't save anyone to sit. He saved everyone to serve. That's the reason we've been saved. I walked in this morning, a young junior high girl walked up and said, I want to help. It's that volunteerism, that deal that God has and wants to put on the inside of all of us that says, I'm going to live on planet Earth only for a very short period of time. How can I make a difference? how can i serve that's a great thing but i want you to understand this these three guys understood power and they understood that the most they were standing in front of the most powerful man on earth but you know what the two most important words in that statement were on earth they understood that nebuchadnezzar had a power that was only operative in this life on this planet. When you're going to worship somebody or something, you better make sure it has power for eternity and not just here and now. So they said, you know, King, anything you want us to do, we will do. There's no task too menial for us. You want us to clean the palace restrooms? We're on it, sir. You want us to cook food? We're on it. You want us to balance the king's books? We're on it. You want us to handle security in the city of Babylon? We're on it. There's no task too great. There's no task too small. But when it comes to worship, we want you to understand that's reserved for one and one only. We serve all, but we worship only one. That's another good lesson in life. Now, let's see what happens. This is the ultimate statement of faith. They said, He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But, even if He does not, this is what I think is a great statement of faith. Even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. Even if he does not, it's not going to change our behavior. What lesson can we learn from that? Take a look at number five. Never allow unanswered prayers to weaken your faith. I want you to consider what these guys had been through. I took the time to write down what I think are seven prayers that these guys had had prayed to God that somehow appeared to go unanswered. Number one, when Nebuchadnezzar set up, well, even before Nebuchadnezzar set it up, at the end of chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar goes, I want all of my people to know that this God of Daniel is the God Uh, above all gods and the Lord of all kings and princes, and that He's a revealer of secrets. These guys probably prayed and said, Oh God, Nebuchadnezzar, He's becoming a worshiper of You. That's a great thing. Let's pray that he, He goes all the way and makes that. Well, obviously at this point He hasn't. Secondly, after publishing his decree, I'm sure these guys prayed that somehow Nebuchadnezzar would come to his senses and not actually follow through and make everybody bow down. Number three, they probably prayed that through Daniel's influence, the Jewish people would be excluded from this command. But that wasn't answered either. Number four, then they probably prayed, even though the king had sent out the decree, that it wouldn't be enforced. Obviously, it was being enforced. Then they probably prayed, Oh God, when we stand here, there's hundreds and thousands of people and there's only three of us standing. Maybe no one will notice. Please, God. Well, God didn't answer that prayer. Then they probably prayed, even though others would notice they probably prayed that no one would tell the king. Did did God answer that prayer? No, the king got told. Then they probably prayed that the king would relent because they had demonstrated faithful service and he would say, okay, did God answer that prayer? No. There's seven prayers kind of right off the top of my head that I could see that these guys prayed and apparently God didn't answer any of them. But even after seven prayers that went unanswered, what did they say? Even if he does not, we will not bow down. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And you know, it's kind of for our country become symbolic of people who believe in something so much that they are willing to dedicate their entire life to and in, and in some cases even lose their life for. I think about some statements that are recorded in history and in the Bible that I consider these ultimate statements of faith. Here's one, even if he does not, we won't bow down. Here's another one, Esther, and I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but Queen Esther in the Old Testament was asked to go and do something to save her whole nation and it meant that she was going to go in before the king and if the king didn't grant grace and favor to her she would be killed on the spot and you know what she said she said if i perish i perish i'm going to go in anyway i think of jesus who knelt on the night before he was crucified the next day and he made an ultimate statement of faith At the end of his prayer, he said, Nevertheless, God, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Ultimate statements of faith. To people who don't have faith, they seem almost like, Wow, can you actually mean that? I want to challenge you to make an ultimate statement of faith in your life. That no matter what happens in my life, No matter what trials or tribulations I encounter, I will not allow the circumstances of life to diminish my faith. I will not allow what seem in the moment to be unanswered prayers to weaken my faith and turn me in a different direction. For this I know, that though I don't understand everything that's going on around me all the time, I do know that I've put my faith in one who does. And he will ultimately work it out for my good. Mark and Heather are going to sing a song. And it's really a song that uh, this is how it must have sounded to the king as he looked at these men and incredulously they looked, they stared down the most powerful man in the world and they said to him, If you want to burn us up, then burn us up. Take a listen.
0: There were three before the king, there were three who wouldn't bow to him. For when you heard the music play, if you were standing, you would burn. They looked at him and said, "Burn burn us up, burn us up, burn us up. Oh, King, watch it rage at what they said sent the three away to find their death and when in unbelief when the guilty raised their hands to see they looked at him and said burn us up burn us up burn us up. Burn us up. Oh, King, won't you burn us in the furnace of your desire? We give up, we give up, we give up. Oh, King, won't you burn us in the furnace of your desire? Won't you save us from the fire? From the fire of affliction is the declaration. Of...
1: Wouldn't it be great if we all lived with that kind of conviction every single day? That's part of pursuing spiritual excellence is learning to have our feet on the ground unshakable and uh, to be able to live with that kind of devotion. Let's take a look at the the next section, and we've got uh, two more sections and then a closing thought. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to underline the word furious because that's a really important one. And then it says his attitude toward them changed. Actually, if you look that that little phrase up in the original, it says that the look on his face, his countenance changed. Can you remember as a kid when your parents did that? (laughs) Remember when you were telling a lie and you could figure out that they figured out you were telling a lie and their countenance changed? That's exactly what happened in the king's face. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. Than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and outer clothes, were bound and thrown into the burning furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell. Into the burning furnace. Wow. Lesson number six is this Never make important decisions when you're angry. You notice the king commanded some of his strongest soldiers. He lost some of his most loyal and strong and skilled soldiers needlessly because he was mad. wasted their lives you know the book of James chapter 1 tells us an interesting little insight it says human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires here's a good rule of thumb never ever make an important decision when you're angry I know parents who have been so mad at a teenage child or a child in their early 20's and they have said something to that child. And, and I know parents in, that in a fit of anger have thrown their children out of their house. By the way, listen up carefully. I know people who have made the decision to divorce their wife or their husband. And they made that decision when they were angry. Never make an important decision in your life when you're angry. It'll be as dumb as this decision was. Now, that's what God says. Now, let's go on to the last section and see what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, well, look. I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth man looks like the son of the gods. Wow, you know what I call that? That's like the ultimate life group, don't you think? That's right. They're hanging out in the furnace. Now it goes on to say, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Do you you hear a little different tone and tune in his voice there? Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. They just walked out. Now I I, I've excerpted it a little bit so that you so I wouldn't have to read all the details, but basically, you know what happens? The only thing that burned were the ropes. That they tied them up to throw them in. That's why these guys are walking around. goes on to say, The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was what? No smell of fire. You know, when God wants to protect you, He gets it done. Doesn't He? Yeah. What do you think? By the way, the Bible doesn't say for sure, but I happen to believe that the fourth man in the fire was Jesus. And and I don't don't have time to go into why, but I I believe it was Jesus. What do you think he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm proud of you guys. Man, do you represent my father well. Look at the rest of those people all flapping on their face down there doing anything the king wants them to do. And you had the guts to recognize that there's only one who has power and authority, really, and that's my father, and you stood up for him. And that's why I showed up. What do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Jesus? I want you to, I want you to get this. What started out as a refusal to worship a false god ended up to be the most moving worship experience these guys would ever have in their lifetime. Don't you think? Don't you think for the rest of their life they were telling their grandkids, I want to tell you about the day Jesus met me in the fire. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. And that leads me to lesson number eight. And lesson number eight is the, is the lesson for all of us who are undergoing a period of testing. Jesus will meet us in the fire. Now I want you to put your pencils down as soon as you're done writing that, uh, the words there. I want you to listen. I'm not for sure that God has a palm pilot. Okay? He might, though. He might, he might have, you know, a PDA. But whether he has a PDA or not, I know God has a calendar. And I want you to know that there are events on God's calendar. And if you could go back and you could look up this day that we've talked about this morning on God's calendar at somewhere around 10 or 11 o'clock or at noon... It said, meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. wonder what would have happened if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had just bowed down. They wouldn't have shown up in the furnace, would they? And God would have been there but they wouldn't have been. There's a real lesson in that for you and me. Ever wonder how many times you're on God's calendar and it says, meet John, meet Sue, meet Bill, meet Nancy. And it's got when and it's got where. Because it's a place that God has appointed for you to be Because he's about ready to do something life changing in your life. But it will never happen unless you show up. Does everybody understand that? Now, there's a reason why you're here this morning. And you know what the Bible says? When you gather in the name of Jesus, he meets us here. And you know, one of the first songs we sang this morning was Meet us here. And for good reason. Now, as I I lead us into communion, I want you to understand that there's a reason you're here more than just so you can say, hey, God, I went to church back there on January the 20th, 2008. And God has a purpose to accomplish in your life. And on God's calendar, it said, meet new life at 9 o'clock. And then God does his work. I want to challenge you to invite into your life whatever it is God wants to do this morning. Because the ultimate statement of our faith to God is this. Even when it doesn't seem like you answer my prayers, I will worship you. And the ultimate statement of our value by God was the day that Jesus said, I will give my life for them.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.